to Bick and the Boss on the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. No Bick today, just the boss. Craig McEwen here riding solo on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Lots of hockey talk in hour one as we uh, chatted about San Jose and the issues surrounding Evander Kane and and what the Sharks will look like this year and also had a a very good conversation with Chris Faber uh, from the Canucks Army and Canucks Convo podcast. You can go back and obviously listen to that on your favorite podcatchers as well to get caught up in all things Uh, Canucks and NHL, but uh, as the show rolls along, football time. It's time to talk a little football, and it's a very uh, interesting time of year, uh, considering the fact that, you know, NFL camps have opened up, lots going on down south, and then north of the border, the CFL is returning. Uh, And listen, the, the pandemic has been extremely tough on a lot of businesses, and the CFL is no different, but I am sure everyone involved is super excited and pumped that there's going to be a season this year and that CFL fans from uh, across this country are going to be able to cheer on their favorite teams. Uh, joining us uh, is uh, Nateo J from the All Ball podcast. Um, and uh, Nate just recently announced his retirement from the game of football to, to jump into the media maybe full-time. Is, is that the plan, buddy? Is that what, that what you're doing? You're, you're, you're giving up pass catching to holding on to microphones? I guess we don't have Nate there yet. So we'll, uh, now he's ready? Greg Ballack tells me now he's ready. I, I called the play too early. I jumped the gun. I, I, flags are being thrown for being offside and uh, moving too quickly off the line. Nate, how are you doing? Uh, I was mentioning that uh, you just uh, announced your retirement a uh, month or two ago um, and trading it in for a microphone. Is that is that what the plan is going to be for you moving forward? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just before I get on that, I didn't want to get a false start penalty. I was in the back uh, talking to your producer. So, um, yeah, we're just chatting <laughs> about retirement, like you said. Uh, got you know some good plans coming. Uh, going to be color commentating CFL games this year. I can't announce which team because it's not officially official yet, but that's in the plans and doing some social media content for the, the league and um, also some NBA stuff uh, coming down for, for the Raptors. So it's going to be a busy time for me, probably more busier than when I was playing, but it's definitely exciting and uh, something I'm looking forward to. Nice. Best of luck on that. So I can blame my producer. It's good to know who, where I can point the finger, seeing as I am the boss. Uh, and uh, <laughs> somewhat in charge of this radio station. Hey, let's kick things off with the CFL. Uh, how big is it to have the game back in Canada and, you know, albeit a shorter season and, you know, the Grey Cup's going to be competed for in, in December instead of November. But bottom line, football returns to Canada. How massive is this for this country? Oh, it's unbelievable, especially after a year off. You know, you talk to all the players, the coaches, everybody that works with you know, CFL teams, you didn't know how, you know, how good you had it. So, you know, something that you loved so much was gone. And, you know, you can feel the passion, you know, I walk around with, you know, CFL gear on and people are 
you know, stopping me. It's like, oh, we're back. Let's go. So I definitely feel the passion. I feel it from all angles. Like, fans are excited. Like, this week, you know, for the first game in Saskatchewan, it's usually sold out, but they sold out within hours of posting tickets, right? Uh, Winnipeg is close to a sellout. I'm sure we're going to see more sellouts than ever at CFL games this summer. And it's because, like I said, you know, something that we love so much was gone and it's finally back. And, you know, summer football, there's, there's nothing better than that uh, summer football at uh, the stadium with your friends, your family, and uh, CFL football. It's, it's unique to Canada, right? The different rules, um, you know, and, and Canadian players playing professional football. So it's it's definitely exciting. Uh, I feel it, you know, throughout throughout my life, even though I'm not playing. Uh, Nate, let's uh, look at the West because you know, being Vancouver, the BC Lions are a team that you know struggled mightily the last time they were on the football field. And I guess the question I have when it comes to the Leos is, will Michael Riley, not going by Mike anymore, Michael Riley, remain upright this year? And do, do they have a chance to to improve upon what was when they last played not the most productive of seasons? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Mike, Michael Riley, you know, my old team, I'm so used to calling him Mike. It's that what he changed his name for good reason. Uh, his, his mother passed away and uh, he wanted to honor her because she always called him Michael um, by going by that name. And uh, I think he will stay upright. He will stay upright this year. They made some changes throughout the back half of last season, you know, bringing in Kelly Bates, a former Lions O-lineman as a, as a coach. And, you know, when I was in Edmonton, he was there and he had some great ideas uh for us and the way to communicate with the players that maybe they responded better to so he's there now you saw improvements as soon as he got hired as o-line coach and guys were you know better at their jobs they had the running backs helping out and protection a lot better so i think if you have a mike riley michael riley healthy upright you're always dangerous no matter who's around him because that guy the way he inspires a team is, is none like anything i've ever seen before i always comparing him to Leonidas from the movie 300. I don't know if you remember that. The guy is an absolute <laughs> warrior. Whoever is around him, he's going to get ready to play. And uh, I'm excited to see him and the Leos back in action. But I think they can make some noise in the West. The West is a tough division, a tougher division. But like I said, with healthy line play, that team, that team, uh, the sky's the limit for. Natea J joining us from the All Ball podcast here on uh, Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. So, okay, the, the, the rest of the West then. Uh, a new name in Edmonton, the Elks. I, I, I'm a big fan of the, the name and the, and the logo, but, you know, how do you size up, you know, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan? If, if you would consider that, the, you know, the Lions do have some work to do, that those four might be the ones that are battling out at the top. Yeah, I just it's it's, it's an absolute gauntlet of uh, a time in that West Division because, like you said, you got Winnipeg who won the Great Cup the last time those seasons played. You have uh, Saskatchewan where Cody Fajardo is an MOP candidate, but you just added uh, Jason Moss who's uh, an unbelievable offensive coordinator, offensive mind um, to that fold, and his game is just going to get even better. Now they have some issues at line, but Cody Fajardo is a, a mobile guy, right? He's a tough. Uh, tough mobile kid, strong arm. It's, it's just I, I see him being a absolute MOP candidate because of uh, Jason Moss being added. You know, Jason uh, can make anything happen. Every year, Mike Riley played with Michael Riley played with them. He was you know either leading the league in you know, passing yards or he was an MOP, right? So you know the the proof is in the pudding there. Then you got the Stampeders. Every single year, I, I feel like I played in the CFL. The Stampeders had you know double digit wins, like easily, right? No matter who was our quarterback, whether it was Drew Tate or Kevin Glenn, 
or a Bo Levi Mitchell. Like they are just the most consistent team in our league. They have a younger receiving core, less bets that we're used to. But the you know the infrastructure is there. Head coach is still the same. The GM and health is still the same. Um, the defensive back wise, uh, Jam- uh, Jamar Wall is still there. So I think you know the, this is uh, a season where you know they are a bit younger, but the you know the consistency of this team is, is still there, and where you know guys are going to be put in bigger roles. And you know, it's in the past, it's always shown that you know they, they rise to the occasion. So the Lions definitely have some work to do. And I didn't even mention the Elks yet. I mean, they have you know. Four receivers uh, who are, you know, can go for a thousand yards with one of, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, Trevor Harris. You know, at quarterback leading them. You know, an unbelievable defensive line with, you know, they're starting two Canadians at defense like Quiku Boateng and uh, Matthew Betts. And interior they have uh, Jake Serezna, who just came back from the NFL, and Mike Moore. You know, who had a breakout season last time we played. So unbelievable uh, teams in the West. The Lions do have their work cut out for them. I feel like I can go on for days and days about this West division. And just talking it out loud, it's unbelievable how much talent is in that West. But, you know, there's a reason why you play the games, right? So once once the games start, we'll, we'll get an idea of, you know, who's really uh, up for it this year and who's just, you know, talk. Nate, I know you, you follow all things football, and, and we were fortunate to have you on our morning show to talk the NFL. Let, let's change gears now and, and head south of the line. And what is going on uh, with the Colts? You know, they lose Carson Wentz to a foot injury. And now they're all pro lineman. Quentin Nelson goes down with the same foot injuries. Should they be looking at the field there? Or what, what, what's happening down there with Frank Reich yeah. and company uh, where these guys are just kind of stepping the wrong way and now we're out five to 12 weeks? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, was, I thought the same thing. When I saw you know, Quentin Nelson go down and they say five to 12 weeks, which is interesting because I've never heard that timeline you know, described for an injury five to 12 weeks. That's such a big, big margin. Um, uh, and with the same injury as Carson Wentz, you know, the foot injury, I was like, man, okay, you got to look at the trainers. You got to look at what these guys are doing in the offseason. You got to look at the, the coaches are having these guys do. You got to look at the field. You got to look at everything. Cause it's such a, a unique injury for two guys to have that same exact injury and to be, you know, sidelined for the same exact time. So um, I, I have no idea what's going on there. And I think, you know, they've really got to, you know, look at everything that's going on there from coaches, trainers, fields, everything has to be, you know, looked at left, right, and center because that's uh, unusual. It kind of reminded me of what happened in Saskatchewan where, you know, uh, you know, an off-season running program right before a training camp, you have four, te- four guys go down with Achilles tears. And I've never seen anything like that. So that's, that's not quite on that level. But, you know, with them, you know, same thing. You've got to look at everything that these guys were doing. Yeah, and... and- you know, lots of high hopes for the the Colts this year, especially with Wentz coming in. But I, I wonder with his history of injuries and, you know, the fact that he just can't seem to stay healthy. I mean, let's hope he, he's not out that long and, and can get up and running real quick. But there is a huge risk, I guess, when you when you bring in a guy like that who who's had the history that he has in the National Football League when it comes to being on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean that's that's the only reason they were able to get a Carson Wentz, right? If Carson Wentz was in the NFL and he, you know, was pretty healthy, he probably would never been traded to the Colts, right? So, you know, you lose him in the same way that you got him. You got him because he was injury prone and uh, you know wasn't living up to expectations. Now, you know, kind of a similar pattern is following him early, which is very unfortunate because you always like you know redemption stories. You always like a guy 
you know, that's been battling through stuff, get a fresh start and, and make things happen. And I'm still hoping that that can happen for Carson. Um, he seems like you know, a guy with immense talent. It's just things haven't been breaking his way lately. And uh, hoping he can re- regain that MVP form from, uh, I think, three seasons ago. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a rough start for him so far. Natea Jay joining us from the All Ball podcast here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Agent Drew Rosenhaus was uh, on the radio, and, and he says that he thinks Deshaun Watson will be traded in the preseason, whether that's the Dolphins, the Eagles. You know, I guess legal uh, issues aside with Deshaun, here's a guy that I'm, I am sure, you know, a bunch of teams would want. I'm just curious, Nate, if someone's going to be able to match the price that the Texans will be asking when and if they want to move on from Watson. Right. And I think the Texans have already decided that they're going to move on from Like reports out of camp are saying that, you know, he's a fourth string quarterback right now and he's practicing as a scout team safety, right? And that's, if you know anything about football, that tells you right there he's not in their plans uh, for this season. So, Drew Rosenhaus uh, is right, and he's a pretty plugged-in guy that you know he will get moved. It's just a matter of when. And for those two teams that you mentioned, either the Eagles or the Dolphins, I mean, you have a chance to land, you know, legal issues aside, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl, All-Pro type of quarterback, you know, generational kind of guy that, you know, you would never have a chance to get, you know, if it wasn't for his legal issues, right? So, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, teams, especially you could throw Denver in there too, um, are, you know, trying to decide what they want to do, how they feel internally about, you know, bringing a guy with his type of allegations into their building. But, you know, without those legal issues, I mean, this guy, the whole team would be, uh, the whole league would be drooling over. And, you know, especially like, you know, you mentioned the Eagles and, and, and Dolphins. Those two teams have young quarterbacks right now, right? So they, they, you're hoping their quarterbacks could, you know, grow into what Deshaun Watson is, and they're, you know, not far off in age. So, you know, for a chance to get a quarterback like that at, at this time, um, with obviously he's got legal issues, but you know, talent-wise, you would, you know, you'd be a fool almost not to do it, uh, just because you know you have young quarterbacks. It's the time to do it. It's not like you have a um, you know, uh, you know Pat Mahomes. Obviously, if you're Pat Mahomes, you're not even thinking about it. But you know, you have a chance to get a generational guy, and any team would be a fool not to do it. But legal issues are some that you know you have to consider, and you have to talk to your, you know your organization, your owners, and see how comfortable people are, you know, bringing a guy like that in. But you know, of all these teams, you hope you know your quarterback turns into a Deshaun Watson. Nate, I know you're you're pretty tapped in when it comes to football out east, and and I, I'm guessing this is just a smokescreen. But is there any chance the Bills are going to be moving to Austin, or is this, you know, one of those political uh, footballs they're tossing around? Where hey, if we don't get our support, the Pakulas that are is when they're looking for a new stadium financially from the the people of Buffalo. Like it seemed to me when this story came out, it, it's crazy to think that they might be on the move. But again, I guess. Is it just a pressure point they're trying to put to the people of Buffalo to get a, a new stadium for this team to play in? Yeah, I would lean towards that. I would lean towards it's almost a, a political play where, you know, you kind of tease the fact that the team might be on the move and get, you know, public pressure to, you know, force these politicians into uh, giving them the money because they put a proposal saying they want taxpayers to pay for their new stadium and, you know, it's it's tough, especially in this climate where you know you know politicians are like, okay, we want to pay for a sports stadium, okay, but we just had a year, almost two years, where you know COVID 
you know, ran rapid in, in, in our, in our communities and, you know, money is needed elsewhere, right? It's just, it's just a tough time for it. But I, I think a deal does get down. I, c- I couldn't imagine Buffalo anywhere else other than Buffalo. Like that city, you know, embodies that, that, that NFL franchise, right? So, you know, but I thought the same thing about uh, Oakland when they were talking about moving to Las Vegas and obviously that franchise has moved. But I was like, man, they're Oakland. They're everything Oakland stands for. There's no way they're moving. But when money, you know, comes uh, becomes involved, it's, it's you always lead to, you know, you always follow the money and you always, you know, especially with the Raiders being owned by, you know, a family-run organization, like the money is a little bit more important. They can't, they can't, they don't have any other uh, source of income uh, other than that team. So I think for me, I, I have a hard time thinking Buffalo uh, would lead to Austin of all places, but, you know, I can, anything is possible when, when money is involved. I mean, Austin is a booming tech uh, hub. They've got lots of money to throw at the bills if, you know, they're ever thinking of such a move. But uh, all in all, I think Buffalo will stay in Buffalo. Um, it's just hard to see them moving. I think something will get, get worked out with the politicians. Lute, a couple quick other ones in the in the two-minute drill, let's call it. Uh, Josh <laughs> Allen, the other big story in Buffalo. What a year, what a player. There appears to be a deadline possibly being put on this. And, and I guess they don't want the talks lingering as the season goes on, but... Uh, what is your your sense of that situation, and just how important is he to what the Bills have been able to accomplish last year, and and what they want to do moving forward? Oh, Josh Allen's everything, everything to the Bills, especially you know he's become the face of the franchise. You know he's become you know one of the top young quarterbacks in the league. He's up there with you know the uh, probably above the Baker Mayfields, around the Lamar Jacksons, and and right under the Mahomes when you're talking about young quarterbacks, right? And he's going to get his money, right? But these teams, they want to maximize the window you have with a young quarterback when he's on his rookie salary, right? And it's not a question of if he's going to get his money. He he is going to get his money. But once you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, you can do so much with your roster. You have so much roster flexibility because you don't have uh, $30 million tied up with your uh, your starting quarterback. You know, you can bolster your defense. You can bring in star uh, receivers uh, alongside them. So, you know, once once that money is you know given to them, you have to make some tough decisions. You saw it in Seattle as soon as they gave Russell Wilson his money. You know, the Legion of Boom was, you know, suddenly gone, right? And, you know, it was also almost all Russell having to do everything, right? So, you know, teams, you know, are strategic about this. They want to they, – they are going to give him his money. They just want to, you know, maximize the window, and that's probably what's being talked about in those offices. Lastly, just uh, your your opinions and thoughts on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers finally coming back together again. It, it, listen, I wasn't uh, so sure when he was threatening retirement. And again, you you can you know bluff politicians or people or whatever, but it, it seemed like Aaron was was really serious about moving on. Now they come to an agreement, and, and it appears like he will eventually move on. But just how surprised are you that this got? put to bed when it did and it didn't linger longer or does that just speak to the fact that Rodgers knows he's got a pretty good situation in Green Bay and if he waits too too long then that team isn't going to be what it should be yeah it was an interesting situation from the start it's almost it was, it was interesting because star quarterbacks really go through that where you know the things Rodgers was asking for wasn't a lot when you think about it um, but you, you know, GMs they have to make decisions of well, what's best for your team. But it just blows my mind that they wouldn't 
consult him on some of the things that would affect his job, like he said. They wouldn't, you know, ask his opinion on free agents or or uh, rookies that are coming into the league. You draft as a replacement, you know, while he's in his prime, leading him to, you know, you know, have an MVP type season. I mean, it's just blunder after blunder. You know, it's it, on, on management side. It's it's oh, it's almost like they didn't even think he was a star quarterback. Is the and it was never about money. I mean, Aaron has plenty of money, but it was just about you know the respect of you know when he has ideas going to the front office and the front office saying no or not even listening. Just you know things like that. And he's already made his mind up that he's you know he's, he's going to be moving on. It's just this year. I mean, there were talk, talks out there that he was thinking about retirement. I didn't think. Uh, a guy, anybody, I don't care how rich you are, are you going to leave $30 million on the table? Uh, it just, it's just not going to happen. But it seems like they've come to you no know, resolution that you know, this year will most likely be his last year, and, and then they can you know, trade him for um, you know, some, some good assets. But, you know, it's, just, it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point. Um, I always think about this. When Aaron Rodgers is dealing with the GM uh, that was a scout, you know, once once upon a time, Aaron Rodgers saw this guy as a scout. Right now, Aaron Rodgers, you know, is still in the same position, and now this guy's a GM, you know, telling Aaron Rodgers uh, how things are going to be run. It's just it's just a disconnect, right, with, you know, it's just, it, it, you think about that, you know, you're a star quarterback, you're watching this guy as a scout, you see him around the building, you know, he's won the, on the total pole in the NFL. He's really low. And now, you know, he's raised to a position where he's high on the totem pole. He's almost, you know, the second most important guy in the NFL uh, building. But you still see him as that guy. It's almost like if you had a child and your child is almost a CEO of a company, he, he's trying to tell you what to do. It doesn't work, right? You know, you're going to look at him like, yo, I, you know, I almost raised you. Like, what are you, what are you talking about here? So, yeah, it's just. A lot of personalities clashing. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a really sensitive guy, but he's a superstar and he deserved that respect. And it wasn't given to him. He was hurt by it. Now he's made the decision that he's, you know, he's going to be gone. And it's unfortunate because, you know, he could have. I mean, he saw the writing on the wall when Jordan Love uh, was was drafted. But it seems like it's ending sooner than, than they want, than than the team wants. Yeah. Nate, really appreciate this. Uh, fantastic stuff, uh, and we'll have to do it again sometime soon. I, I agree with your, your assessment of Rogers, and I also agree about your opinion about Kelly Bates. Great guy. Actually did some work at the radio station a while ago, so Bates is good people. So thanks uh, for the shout-out to him. I'm sure he's happy to hear that, and, and thanks again for doing this. Oh, no problem at all. Anytime. Like I said, I'm retired now, so I got some more. I got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just get you to stop talking to Balak, the producer, and you talk to the guys who are on air. That'll be even better. So. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Biz, Appreciate like, this. You know, yeah, for sure. And tell Biz to come back from vacation, man. What is this? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What, what's he doing taking vacation this summer? How dare he? Yes. All right. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it. There's uh, Nateo J from the All Ball Podcast joining us here on Vic and the Boss. Uh, one more segment to go. We're going to talk a, a little bit of baseball with Tyler Zickel of the Vancouver Canadians and also uh, some more hockey talk as well. Thomas Drantz had some very interesting things to say on the morning show with Halford and Bruff, and we'll dive into what Drantzer thinks about the contract negotiations between uh, the Canucks and Hughes and Pedersen. That and uh, a little bit more coming up here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show of Bick and the Boss with Craig McEwen is Bick Nazar. 
uh, is off this week, enjoying some downtime after uh, putting in a lot of work during the NHL season and NHL free agency. So uh, Tyler Zickel now with the Vancouver Canadians stopping by from uh, down south and Tyler, if, if you were working at a sports radio station uh, and you just dumped your boss because you felt like you needed holidays, do you think that would be a good career move or a bad career move? Well, it just depends on the career. If you want to stick with the respective industry, then you might have uh, the, the wrong kind of idea. But you know what? Sometimes a boss might appreciate that intuition and the gumption. So you never know. Yes, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yes, uh, Tyler Zickel, the Vancouver Canadians, joining us here on Bick and the Boss. Um, it's been a bit uh, since we last chatted, but I, I, I'm curious uh, how things are going. Obviously, are you guys any closer to possibly coming home? I know the, the Lions and Whitecaps uh, are playing games. The Whitecaps returning from uh, Utah to play some games here at the end of August. So I know that was kind of the plan or the hope that maybe September, and, and I'm not you know getting you to tip your hand, but where do things sit there with the Vancouver Canadians, and could we possibly see some baseball at Nat Bailey this year? Well, things certainly trending in the right direction, though I wish I had better news to share. It's still a big maybe in all caps, all bold, underlined twice, a big maybe if the Seeds can get back to their proper home at the Nat this season. Now, if you're going to target a time to get back those last two weeks of the season with the regular season ending on September 19th, that's the best shot to get back to Ontario Street and find a way to celebrate the return of Seeds baseball. Our team president, Andy Dunn, that is his top priority right now. He's working night and day to try and get that ironed out to to get the team back. The schedule's not necessarily our friend as well in terms of where we are in the Pacific Northwest down here south of the border when that border opening would happen. So for now, we're still continuing to do our thing here at Hillsboro where we start a series tonight against the hometown hops, but the C's are the home team, so that should be really interesting. But I wish I had better news to share right at this moment, though for now, the goal is to at some point find a way back, but you got to do it right because C's baseball deserves to be celebrated in a full Nat Bailey Stadium if and when it gets back this year. Yeah, totally agree with you and, and didn't mean to put you on the spot. Just wanted an update and, and I appreciate that. So uh, how has it been uh, as the home team in Hillsborough, especially facing the team that is usually playing there? And, and I know, let's say the Whitecaps have, have something similar when they played Real Salt Lake, but the home away from home, how's that been? Uh, what's it like being the home team in the, the opposition's uh, stadium? and where things are at right now with the ball club. Here at the facility here in Hillsborough, it's been fantastic. Plenty of space for us to stretch out. We would never really run into the hops and their staff because of the ability to spread out here and have our own clubhouse, own training area, own dining area. So that all works out well. But what misses out here in Hillsborough at Ron Tonkin Field that we would get in spades at the NAD is that home field advantage, the crowd, the energy, the spirit of the community that – let's be honest, in every sport, but baseball specifically, can really buoy a team and take them over the edge. So, for example, last week at Avista Stadium in Spokane, Seas had a sizable lead early, but the bullpen unable to kind of dial it in, and the Indians, they rode their hometown crowd to a couple of late-inning wins. So that's kind of the key factor that I've noticed now, 78 games into the season out of 120 in the first full season of Seas baseball. And so, it would be great to be able to get just a little splash of that this year. But obviously, when Canadians baseball returns, that home field advantage, I think, is going to be taken to an even new level than what we used to see from 2019 and in years past. So certainly lots of good things to take about being here in Hillsboro. But this team really missing out on that 
home field vigor, that opportunity to really put on a show for the hometown fans and, and feel that support because it makes a big difference. Yeah, and I, I would say the Blue Jays have just experienced that coming home for the first time in, in you know over 600 days, almost 162 games on, on the button. And, yeah, that ability to play in front of your fans and, and to hear the roar of the crowd and it must be something that it sorely missed. But, you know, the, the season soldiers on, and, and, you know, there's been some ups and downs of late. Uh, last Wednesday, a, a, a big comeback win in the 11th. I think you guys were down by about seven or something like that. So there's no quit in the ball club. Where do you see things at, and, and how are these prospects progressing as, as they – you know, look towards that that Toronto uh, Rogers Center and, and possibly one day joining the likes of Alex Manoa playing baseball for the Blue Jays. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of great team wins last week. Unfortunately, the Seas lost their third consecutive series in a little bit of a slump right now. But the win on Sunday on getaway day in Spokane really said a lot about the testament to these guys' character and their desire to win, even the fact that the odds are stacked against them. So to be able to put the pieces together with what we had was been terrific. But then also the Blue Jays announced yesterday uh, some Big changes coming to our roster, most notably the number four Blue Jays prospect, Orelvis Martinez. He's going to make his Canadians in high A debut tonight, batting third, playing shortstop. So very excited to see him, just 19 years old, and already drawing comparisons to Adrian Beltre. So certainly somebody that Blue Jays fans can be excited about in the future, but Canadians fans can be excited about starting tonight. And some of the guys who've been with us since the start of the year, like Adam Kloffenstein and C.J. Van Eyck, the latter of whom is starting tonight against the Hops, Ups and downs, Kloffenstein just 20 years old, but Canadians fans remember him from 2019. And Van Eyck, one step behind him on the prospect rankings, he's a guy who was pitching at Florida State down there in the ACC just last year, making his first pro debut this year and has performed admirably in fits and spurts. So certainly some guys that we can be excited about. And then other guys like Tanner Morris, who just cracked that top 30 prospect ranking, which sometimes can be eyewash, but is also a good barometer of who you might want to be paying attention to. Tanner, a fifth round guy out of University of Virginia, not somebody who blows you away with power or speed, but puts together some of the best plate appearances that we've seen, can draw walks, can go gap to gap, had a terrific hit and run execution to move the winning run over to third base from first in the ninth inning on Sunday and finished up a terrific July batting 326 to lead the team. So different pieces all around and hoping after that win on Sunday to start August after a dismal month of July where the team went 8-19, and a chance to turn the corner and make a shot, albeit an outside shot, at that number two postseason position come the end of the regular season on 2019 or September 19th, I should say. Yeah, that that would be great. Hey, listen, Tyler, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the the home series tonight against the Hops, even though it's their barn. And uh, it is truly our hope that we can see the Canadians back up here in Vancouver before the end of the year. And, and fighting for a playoff spot would be all the better. Indeed, C-Mac. Thanks very much. And to everybody tuned in and all the Seas fans back home, the boys can feel it, that's for sure. They really appreciate the long-term listening and rooting support. So catch us on the Sportsnet Radio Network and CanadiansBaseball.com. They're trying to win some for Van City, that's for sure. <laughs> nice, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Tyler Zickel, voice of the Vancouver Canadians, joining us here on Bick and the Boss as the uh, Seas open up a, a series in their adopted home of Hillsborough against the hometown Hops. As, as weird as that sounds, Everything in this COVID uh, pandemic has has been difficult, and and it is it is still a, a, a hope, and and I believe an outside chance that uh, Nat Bailey will be rocking in September with some baseball. Uh, we started the show 
with some Canucks conversation and I'd like to get back to that. As mentioned, Thomas Drance was on the morning show with Halford and Bruff and uh, Drancer was asked the question about, you know, what does he think is going to happen in, in the Hughes and Pedersen contract negotiations? And, and it's a little bit of a back and forth here between him and the boys, but I, I thought I would replay it for you because it, it really does set the table and set the tone for what he believes is coming up for the Vancouver Canucks. I think next steps, honestly, mostly concern the RFAs, right? Our attention now turns to, you know, and there's four key RFAs, I suppose, but really two with Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. And yet it was Dickinson who filed for arbitration on August 1st. So that one is probably the first one to get done, right? Like there's the, at this point in the off season, you've waited long enough. You went through the whole rigmarole of expansion and free agency with, you know, your two most important players unsigned. And at that point, like if you're not going to have the predictability of doing the deal beforehand, right? If you're not offering the types of deals that create incentives for the player, then you sort of, typically wait for pressure points later on and for Yolevi Pedersen and Hughes those pressure points come honestly September like mid-September closer to training camp for Dickinson however you know his hearing will be scheduled at some point between I think it's the 11th of August and the 26th of August probably in the next couple of days and then you always expect like no one goes to arbitration anymore that there'll be a settlement before that hearing almost certainly like you can you can bet on it um although this is a little bit distinct too because it's not quite as bitter when you take a guy who's never played for your team to arbitration right like it's not like you're slamming the work he's done for you uh so that may be that new dynamic or that different dynamic maybe changes things a tiny bit makes makes it somewhat more likely but only modestly. No one goes to arbitration. So the Dickinson deal, I think, is one that we'd look at getting done first. And then, you know, I, I think it's going to be potentially like buckle in because I think it might take a while, especially for Hughes, considering his 10.2C status, right? He's a black hole free agent. And players of that ilk pretty often don't get their deals done until after training camp starts something we saw a few years ago here with Brock Besser, mm-hmm. but I mean, any player of that caliber, right? Like players of, of Hughes's caliber who are black hole players, you know, you think of Jaden Schwartz, you think of Tory Krug, you think of Johnny Gaudreau, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's just no leverage there. It's so rare that those players seem to settle or get their deals done, their second contracts done without missing at least a portion of training camp. And that's sort of something to be mindful of here, too, especially with all the moves the Canucks have made this offseason, pushing so much, you know, assets and future assets and future cap space and, and weapons, essentially, into being good this upcoming season. You know, you think that creates a different type of incentive for the club to make sure that Hughes and Pedersen are there and ready to go on day one. Yeah, I was going to say that. And Mike and I were discussing that earlier. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised if the Quinn Hughes negotiations um, went further than Pedersen because you don't have the offer sheet threat with Quinn Hughes. Totally. That being said, if the Canucks are really grinding, you could see the Quinn Hughes camp saying, whether cryptically or directly, like, I dare you to start the season without Quinn Hughes on your six-game road trip after the start you had last season that pretty much buried you 10 games after the season started. I dare you to do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I mean, I just, I would, I would suspect there's not a ton of appetite for that from, from the Canucks end. Right. Um, but, but man, the Hughes one is going to be tricky, especially with what's happened to the market for defensemen and not just second contract defensemen, but across the board, defensemen got paid uh, over the course of the past two weeks. Like he's almost looking at a completely different dynamic now than he was, you know, even when the rosters froze for expansion. I mean, since then we've seen Haskinen at eight, four, five and, you know, uh, Kale McCarr, obviously, at 9-5. At and then, you know, Seth Jones at 9-5, which doesn't have a direct impact on Hughes since they're buying UFA years with that contract. But nonetheless, you know, the market is trending upward for D. Does that complicate things? Does that make it harder for the Canucks to get, like, a three-time $6 million bridge-type settlement, which, you know, three weeks ago we would have said, well, that's, you know, a premium version of what the Bruins signed Charlie McAvoy to and what the Columbus Blue Jackets signed Zach Wierenski to. Zach Wierenski is another one who signed a massive, massive deal, right? Mm -hmm. And now I think we'd sort of look at six times three and just think that's completely out of whack with what the players Hughes probably views as his peers, especially Haskin and McCarr, got. And, you know, that... I mean, it's harder to see something, even if it's a square deal relative to your comps. Like, it's hard to see that as a square deal if the players you consider yourself, you know, every bit as good as um, are getting 2.5 plus extra per year for, for many more years than what you're signing for. Could you see any of those guys signing an Austin Matthews type contract, which would be which was five years and delivered? Austin Matthews or is going to deliver Austin Matthews to unrestricted free agency pretty quickly. So yeah, they bought one UFA year with Austin Matthews's second contract, uh, a big, big cap hit. Um, you know, the equivalent for Hughes would be a six year deal, right? The equivalent for Hughes would be a six year deal. Cause he's actually um, five years from unrestricted free agency, not your standard four. That's okay. because he's the 10.2 C guy, right? What is it for Pedersen again? Uh, would be four, okay. which is standard. Right. So most guys entering their entry level contract, having, you know, accrued three seasons toward free agency guys like Pedersen, who are dynamos right off the bat, they typically expire in a four years till UFA, but, but Hughes has five. So the equivalent length of the Matthews five-year deal would be a six-year deal for Quinn Hughes. I mean, Honestly, I think that might make sense, to be totally honest with you, to, you know, it, to essentially bridge, like, it's not a bridge, it's a long-term deal. Like, six years is an awfully long time, right? It's a bridge but, between a bridge and a long-term? <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's not even a medium-term deal. Like, I, I, I can, it's a long-term deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so for Hughes, I think that would make an abundance of sense, and I wonder if that's the best approach if you're going to, and, and here's where I want to use the term bridge, but really I want to use like uh, straddle, straddle detention that is paying a guy fairly despite, you know, the 10.2 C status and what that market looks like historically. Right. And so, you know, could you get them on matching seven, five contracts, for example, you know, Hughes goes longer than, than Pedersen, but, um, you know, you match their cap hit. They both come in slightly above OEL. And something I've been talking about a lot is that gives you sort of a benefit, as it were, in terms of negotiations with Brock Besser a year from now, 
who's do a $7.5 million qualifying offer, right? Like, well, we can't pay you more than that because that's what we paid Pedersen and, and Hughes, right? Um, same with uh, Bo Horvat the next year. Uh, you can create an internal cap using these deals by going a little bit longer than Hughes so that, so that it matches roughly whatever cap hit Pedersen comes in at. Um, you know, I do think they have the space to do that. I was sort of modeling it out yesterday. Like, I do think they have the space to go long on one. I don't think they have the space to go long on both. So maybe there's a solution there where you can go longer on Quinn, considering his uncertain status and what's happened to defensemen and, and on and on, and, and maybe match their cap hits, which, it, which again, a hobby horse of mine, something that I think makes a ton of sense, especially considering the fact that, you know, I don't think you want – to go into next season with your two with like either of those two players feeling like the other got taken care of and they didn't, you know, like I think there's a benefit to uh, on so many different levels to approaching them similarly, whether that means same term or same cap it. I think one of those two things should govern uh, these next deals. Thomas Drance with uh, Halford and Bruff this morning. Uh, some interesting thoughts there under the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650 650. A uh, number of you chiming in. Uh, Sean from Waterloo. Does Hughes go to New Jersey leading up to the preseason, training with his brothers if Benning is holding firm in negotiations? Hey, listen, this, this could go uh, closer to training camp. We've heard Ian McIntyre say that on the station. We now hear Thomas Drance suggest that, that, that this conversation will continue to evolve and change and move uh, over time. Uh, Edge and Port Moody, can we dispel the notion that Hughes is on par with Makar and Miro? Two of those guys can play in all situations, don't require sheltered 5v5 minutes. The other is Quinn Hughes. Yeah, listen, Hughes needs to, and, and I'm sure he's aware of this in his exit meetings he had with the Canucks and Travis Green, needs to work on his defensive game. But part of that too. I think is the experience. Part of that is the situation he's been put in and the partner that he has. And if the Canucks truly do kind of shift things around a little bit and OEL might be the shutdown person late as opposed to Hughes, that's going to lighten the load for him, free him up for a little bit more offense and have that ability to drive play at the other end and maybe not be on the ice in such tough situations as he found himself this past year. Um, you know, it, it's it's going to be really intriguing and interesting to see how the Canucks navigate it and manage the pairings and, and get Hughes in positions to succeed. Uh, this one from Shane and Aldergrove. With the numbers so tight, I don't see both staying. I see Pedersen sticking around and Hughes wanting more and heading back to the U.S. to play for a team, maybe closer to his brother in New Jersey. Listen, he may want more. He, he may preach or, or, or try to get more, but, you know, the Canucks do still control where he plays, at least in the short term. I don't suspect this is going to get too nasty, but you never know in contract negotiations. J.P. Barry and company are pretty smart individuals. Jim Benning and his team have no doubt talked to uh, Quinn Hughes and Pedersen's camp and, and have given them an idea. Like Everyone knows where the cap is at, You know, about $14 million left, and uh, you haven't counted for Michael Furlan's money in that. But you still have to, you know, get Dickinson signed, and that, as Drance suggested, will happen first. And then you have to get those other two big pieces uh, pen to paper, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, but 
uh, I am confident in the in the team's ability, the idea that they're they're wanting to do this, that this is is going to happen sooner rather than later, and we, and we won't have any holdouts. I mean, that would be a scary thing, especially considering how the Canucks did not get off to a good start in the pandemic season this past year. No no real training camp, no exhibition games. They'll have all that to get going here. But you, you want your best players involved and in the team as soon as possible because, listen, uh, the Canucks, in order to make a push for the playoffs, to battle in the division, to get there, to take it a step forward again, they have to have uh, Quinn Hughes and, and Pedersen playing for them. There's just no other way around it. There, there is some uh, Canucks news that has come out since we uh, were uh, doing the interview there with uh, Thomas Drance and uh, Halford and Bruff. Uh, Michael Doyle has been named Canucks Sports and Entertainment Business Operations President. Um, Doyle is uh, promoted and his focus will be on reshaping the organization and enhancing fan experience as the team prepares to welcome fans back to Rogers Arena and Abbotsford Centre. A good move by the organization. Michael's been with them for some time. He's got 30 years experience in the sports entertainment industry. He's been uh, part of the senior leadership at the Canucks for the past 10 years, but uh, on, a, on another note, with, with Doyle being promoted, that means that uh, Canucks Sports and Entertainment's Chief Operating Officer, Trent T- Carroll, a great guy in his own right, will be departing at the end of October to pursue a new chapter in his career. Carroll will remain with the organization until then to help the transition in the rule turn of operations of Rogers Arena. Uh, Carroll joined the Canucks in 2010 as Vice President of Sales and Service. Uh, he's uh, going to be missed uh, within the organization, but I am uh, certain that uh, Michael Doyle will do a bang-up job as well. Uh, that puts a bow on Bick and the Boss uh, for Tuesday here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, coming up on the People Show, uh, we take a look at uh, the guest list today, and it, it includes uh, Eddie Lack will be joining the boys as he uh, chimes in. Uh, Irf will be stopping by, Irfan Gaffar, Mark Schofield, and uh, Kevin Kurtz, the athletic San Jose, who will give uh, the latest of what is going on, no doubt, with Evander Kane and how there's a feeling down there that uh, some of the players maybe would uh, prefer if Evander would be moved. Obviously, easier said than done with uh, legal allegations uh, lobbied at him by his soon-to-be ex on NHL hockey, something that Kane is, is firmly denying and something that the NHL will be investigating here. All right, uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate all the guests who've been on today and also Greg Ballack. We appreciate the work he's done back at Mission Control. Uh, this has been uh, Bick and the Boss on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.